0: Oh well, here we go. Locked on oh, radio.
1: Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind your heart, gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start, and Jane Nessler will bring you there.
0: Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis and this is MJ Network in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce. This is going to be fun because this is going to be about baseball and considering my brother used to play baseball, yeah, my cousin was supposed to be on the Mets instead he went and became a dry cleaner, I have no idea why. Um, A Diamond for Herb, and Tales of the Winnipeg Iron Horses, and the author Marcus here, and this is so exciting. So what made you decide to write a book about baseball, and what research did you Uh, have to do?
2: Yeah, um, well, I was, I mean, I I fell in love with the sport when I was 9 and 10 years old, and So it's kind of always been in my blood Since then And when I started writing I I always knew I wanted to write something about baseball And uh, There's a Canadian author um, uh, W.P. Kinsella Who uh, has written A a lot of books about A lot of novels about baseball Uh, The most famous one, Shoeless Joe Which was turned into the film A Field of Dreams And I was always inspired by that film And I I you know, I wanted to write a book that was along those lines. It had some magical realism in it, and kind of like mm. talked about the, the the grandeur of the game. But then I also wanted to just tell the story of of, of a couple and uh, how they discovered each other and how they founded a, a independent baseball franchise. And I, so I, I was I actually started. When we were in lockdown uh, last uh, last spring. And so I finally got a good solid idea And I decided to go for it And uh, this is what I came up with
0: Well I'm glad you did Because you know how many books I've read It's got five numbers after the Five zeros after the one I think About this time And I get tired (laughs) of reading murder mysteries After a while and I've read some Really good books recently And some really horrible ones And it's very hard for me To even promote a book that's really bad So I just don't do it I just say, i can't do it or it's too much, or I just do a summary. It's sad. so this was so different now the way, the character of Raymond Blythe he came from a rich family right in the railroad industry, so how come he decided to give up his role and do this, which I really thought was cool, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I think
2: it was it was a uh, there was a strange dream that he had, which he didn't quite understand. And so he went to do some research about this dream uh, that was about baseball and his father and this strange sort of memory that he didn't really know if it was a memory or not. It was kind of a, a strange thing. And so as he, as he was doing uh, some research, he, he goes to the Carnegie Library. And uh, he meets a librarian who also loves baseball. And so they start talking, and uh, from there, he kind of is inspired by her as they go to a game at Forbes Field, the old uh, baseball field for the Pittsburgh Pirates in, in Pittsburgh. He ends a game, and he's kind of smitten. He's in love with her. And he gets this brilliant idea to build her her own stadium. And that's kind of how he uh, jumps into the... Um, dumps into the fray of both love and baseball.
0: <clears throat> oh, that's really nice. It's an original present, I'll tell you that. Beats a ring like a baseball diamond. <laughs> and uh, Rochelle yeah. was and she was really smart as everybody's going to find out when you read it. So his father, he didn't really know much about him except that he owned a real company. How come?
2: Yeah, I mean I, I didn't get Into the backstory of his father, Richard Blythe, very much in this book, and it's actually something that I'm exploring more of, and I'm currently writing a sequel to this book, and we're gonna we're gonna find find out a little bit more about his father in the sequel. But uh, from and that's kind of why Richard, I mean uh, Raymond, has has a little bit of misunderstanding of what's happening because all he knew of his father was his father was a Mm -hmm. railroad person. But then he had this strange dream of his father playing to baseball, and it didn't make any sense to him.
0: Yeah. So he
2: was, he was kind of off on, on a quest almost to try to figure out what it, what it might mean.
0: Well, uh, you know which part really got me? The next question. How did you come up with the Greek cards, and how did they play a part in his dreams? And I think a lot of people would like them to help him play baseball.
2: Yeah, so I came up with the idea of um, you know because as, as baseball fans we often talk about the gods of baseball that that cause this or that on the field and crazy things that happen and I, I kind of decided to go for it a little bit and I, so I created these uh, gods, gods, that we're trying to figure out how to play baseball. And this is all happening in Raymond's dreams. And so we have these strange, large creatures uh, called Petra. is like a rock, almost like a moving mountain. And uh, one called Dasos, It's uh, like, like a huge forest tree. They're competing against each other. And, and in Raymond's dream, he's sitting next to his father. And his father is like, Raymond, like kind of show them how to play this game. And, and it's like, it's like the origin of baseball, as we get to see God's uh, the very first pitch ever, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a unique kind of experience. And um, it's also something that, in uh, the, the book, it's not really clear where the where this is coming from, but it's uh, definitely going to show up in the as well.
0: Well, he met Rochelle. And she's really pretty good. She's good. And then this book, how did you make up the baseball team, the Winnesick Iron Horses, the founding members of the Allegheny Independent League? How did you create this? And then tell us about my other favorite character, Charles Shushine Henry, our narrator or storyteller. I remember when I was in my teens or whatever, just yesterday, I think. I don't even remember that. Um there was where I used where I grew up in the South Bronx. There was a guy that used to shine shoes. My father loved to do that, so I was really good. I used to let him shine. It was fun. That was so much fun yeah. to have your shoes shine. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it beats polishing them yeah. yourselves. Let me tell you. So right. how did you right. come up with the name <laughs> of the team and this guy? I love this guy.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, so I, it actually started from a short story that I wrote uh, a few years back, and that short story. Is actually part of the, the novel itself. Mm. It's, it's called the, the, the Hundred Pitch Bat, and so I, I, I wrote that short story, not really knowing if anything would come of it. But then I, I kind of used that as the as the germination for a a fictional baseball team and a fictional city, a small city, in kind of central Pennsylvania, and. Um, so I, I decided to base the book around, that, around this team, the Iron Horses, and with uh, Raymond founding this team. But I wanted to tell the story in a unique way, and so I decided to create um, the, the narrator, the, the writer of mm-hmm. the, the book. Even I'm not the real writer, but I have a fake writer who kind of tells the story. And I, I try to do it in a, in a way, in a historical kind of way, so it feels like... I've had some, some reviewers tell me, I have to keep looking at the cover, and it says work of fiction, because it, 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 it reads like a um, history, because I, I, put, I put end notes in and it's all from the narrator Charles Henry, who becomes a uh, prominent person later in the book, and then becomes the main protagonist as in the sequel as he tries to mm. uh, finish Raymond's quest so well,
0: that's so yeah gonna be they gonna, are you going to bring Rochelle back oh, too
2: oh i can't tell all of my secrets but <laughs> okay <laughs> i i i i think in some way pretty much everybody will be back
0: in one way or another Except for poor mm. Raymond, maybe, we don't know Well, you could always do that, yes You know, people come well, back hey, even when they're not there yep. You never know <laughs> That's right <laughs> Con- Considering what I've been reading I've been getting to wonder I'm reading some scary stuff, I'm going tell you Ghosts and uh-huh. crazy people that are trying Yeah, and, and creatures, and oh my God So, oh, wow. how much of Well, what you wrote almost resembles a real team Did you base it on a real team?
2: Actually, no. It is completely, oh,
0: <laughs>
2: completely made up. Completely made up. Now, and and of course, know, the the city of Winnesook. There is no city of Winnesook. Uh, but all the other towns, all the other cities that are part of the league are real. And so you know you have uh, you know Harrisburg and Reading and Jamestown, New York, and you have Butler, Pennsylvania, which was actually my hometown. So I threw them in there, and the and yeah, a, a bunch of different little towns, which are real, that I that I kind of put into the league of the Allegheny Independent League. So I had a lot of fun, kind of uh, creating this this network of of, of teams that kind of uh, had this mythical league during the 1920s mm. through the 1950s.
0: Now we have her father. Now, what was his role? And tell us about her father. And why he? Why did uh, he have his fa- her father? No, wait. nobody made the question before that. Tell us about Dapper and how come he decided to work for him on the baseball team? Because he was originally working yeah. for him in the railroad industry. Yeah, like that's that right. Of. So,
2: uh, Dapper is kind of like the kind of like the no nonsense, get things done yeah. type person. That a uh, long time uh, like business secretary, I guess you could call him, with, with the the Blythe family in the railroads. And then he also played a prominent role in helping Raymond in the, in the construction of the stadium and surprising Rochelle on the wedding day and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I decided to bring him back a little bit later on. Uh, as After Rapper retired from the railroad industry, he still lived Beside Raymond, and he's like Raymond, I'm bored. I need something to do. And Raymond was uh, very happy to uh, bring Dapper in. To uh, and then I was able to have some fun with that and uh, try to create circumstances where uh, Dapper is really good at what he does, but try to give him some ridiculous people that he had to deal with, and Mm -hmm. and such as uh, Reginald and uh, that crazy, uh, that crazy. Of him uh, sitting on a, a pole
1: for a long
0: time. I have that. Um, so, I have but, that in there later. Later on, I thought that was so hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. So, what was his role? And tell us about her father. So you made the, her father, who is a little off the wall too, um, the manager of the team, and he got away with doing things that a lot of managers wish they could do about his behavior. Yeah. So how come you, I thought that was, that was really interesting and I'm sure that there are some managers and referees that would like to do that too but I don't think so. I don't know. That's and again, right. you never know.
2: Yeah. Rochelle's father, a man called John Christie, which is actually the name of my grandfather so I kind of used that to, to honor my <laughs> grandfather whom I had never met. He uh, passed before I was born. Um, but, so I used uh, John Christie as uh, rochelle 's father, and he was he, you know a, a a bank person all his life, but not a very good one, but he loved baseball and uh, Raymond decides to uh, bring him in as the first man at the iron horses and uh, he doesn't really know what he's doing and uh, but he is very passionate about baseball, and so he puts his whole heart and soul. And uh, does a does a does a great job. Is is able to um, kind of inspire them to uh, over in the first few years of existence uh, until he passes uh, a few years later. So John Christie was a is, is an interesting character, a strong character. Really, uh, yeah, um, yeah, really doesn't back I, down to anybody. <laughs>
0: As I read the book, I kept thinking my brother was very into bus- baseball, and he, my nephew, coaches the baseball team, and he, my brother goes with him because you know, after all, he has to have the final word. And I, I know that if he read this or whatever, he would say, "Gee, I wish he would have hired me to manage the team." I'm serious, <laughs> and he knows his stuff. Very probably get a kick out right. of this. So who was Lawson, right. and why? every time they played against each other. He he felt the competition each time. He didn't like him, did he?
2: Yeah, the, well, the the Lottman were actually the 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 name of the team from Harrisburg, and Harrisburg, you know, as being the the capital city of Pennsylvania, probably a bit more prestigious, larger than Pittsburgh. And So it was always like there were always the tough competition so every time that the, the Iron had to face the lawmen it was kind of like one of those bitter rivalries and uh, they wanted to stick it to them as much as possible um, but I, I guess you know I, I suppose in that league it was kind of the lawmen, kind of like the New York Yankees I guess you could say where uh, everybody's at everybody goes to get them so that's a, how good they are
0: well, that's it, but the Yankees need to um, fix it up. They didn't exactly win. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows? I, I know, it's very really sad. So where does he yeah. buy the land for his own stadium, and what happens after the first event?
2: Yeah, so he even, uh decides to, you know, he he wants to have this team in the stadium in his own town when it's so, so he buys the land outside of town. <clears throat> and builds this big stadium, which is, a, which is a mini replica of the the Pirate Stadium. And, uh, and he decides to throw the opening the opening day is not really a baseball game, and it's a wedding. And so he wants to surprise Rochelle on the wedding day. She knows nothing about the stadium,
1: or anything. Mm-hmm. Just she just knows that
2: she's married, and they they show up and it has her name on the stadium, Rochelle Stadium, and so there's a big big event that kind of culminates the the the, the origin love story between Ray Rochelle. It's a kind of a crazy scene there inside the stadium, the whole town showing up to uh, so.
0: In real life, I wonder how we would actually feel about somebody buying them a baseball team. She must have (laughs) really loved baseball. I mean, seriously, she had to love baseball because I don't know how many women would want a baseball team and not have a mansion or a house, whatever, but that's cool. (laughs) So the other character that I loved is Bess. Who is Bess, and why doesn't she travel, and what role does she play? I really liked her.
2: Yeah, Bess is um, Bess is the African American uh, woman who came to work with the Price family when she was quite young, through a, a variety of uh, unfortunate circumstances, and mm. uh, you know, and Raymond's uh, mother had died, and so really Bess was the kind of the, the person who raised Raymond in, in many ways, and, and at one point uh, Raymond says says the best that you're like my mother. No, actually you are my mother. She loves her yeah. dearly. Um, and she is, but she's this kind of fun and bigger than life character and she she just lets the mouth go but she doesn't take anything from anyone and she goes after what she wants and Raymond buys her a, a brand new car and he's she's driving a Go you know, crazily around town, and and uh, but she has she definitely has a backstory that we we s- slowly find out about throughout the, throughout the book, and um, and and so yeah, the best I I really I, I really like best and what she brings to the book, and
1: um, mm. and
2: she's kind of this. Uh, Steadying force, rain life, um, kind of grounds him a little bit. I think
0: everybody needs a bath. I had an aunt, Tommy, who yeah. was the same way. Yeah, you just didn't mess with her. Whatever she said, yeah, okay, no problem. Gotcha. Yeah. She didn't want to find out That's the right. consequences. <laughs> so, which teams did you highlight in this book that were fictitious, and which ones were real ones? Are they real ones?
2: Yeah, all of the teams that are in the Allegheny Independent League are fictitious. Um, mm-hmm. You know, many of the towns are real, but like my uh, like when I'm back in the states in the summer, I live in uh, Jamestown, and I gave them a team called the Swedish Herons, and so they're they're a completely fictitious team. But there's a lot of uh, people from Sweden in Jamestown, so if anybody visits Jamestown, they'll say ah sharing I I get it now (laughs)
1: Um,
2: so so those teams are fictitious but the places are real I guess the the only the only real team we come across are the major league like when they visited the stadium in Pittsburgh Pittsburgh, and stuff like that so the rest would be uh, fictitious
0: (laughs) so what about this was I have the chapter in front of me um, chapter on page 60 is called Stonehands Christie, right how come he got that name yeah
2: yeah he uh, got the name for a variety of reasons uh, one time when when he was uh, a bank teller a, uh, a bank robber tried to uh, get money out of him and
1: he ended up just
2: punching him in the face so they ended up calling him Stonehands and, uh, and also we, Young, he was uh, he was a baseball player himself, but not very good. And the balls would come to him and hit his you know, hit his glove or hit his hands, and they would just bounce off because they were like stone. He couldn't catch. That's you know, basically the idea. So he, he always had this nickname called Stone Hands.
0: <laughs> it was interesting.
1: But I think uh, I think
2: the you know baseball players, especially the old ones, there. Uh, I just love the nicknames and the things I, I, I try to incorporate that into the, the much as possible like uh, Carl Shushine no. Henry John
0: Stoke, Yeah, I know
2: Christy things like
0: Everybody should have a nickname I won't tell you what they called me never mm-hmm. terrible <laughs> <laughs> Other than the fact that I was really smart Millie really smart <laughs> what can I say So tell us about the challenges. I was overweight.
2: Oh really? (laughs) I was. I was. Yeah, I'm
0: 108. I'm 108 pounds, and you don't mess with this little girl. But at one point in my life, I was huge, and um, I blame it on one of the glands in my body that didn't love me, but it loves me now. And um, yeah. So they 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 used to
2: slash. I couldn't run. I, I was low and so they called me flash
0: they call me big T never mind my wife <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> tell us tell us about the challenges of the gods that's interesting yeah
2: um, so I, I, set this, I set this up where a, a newspaper in Harrisburg had uh, interviewed Raymond Blythe and Raymond was talking about the dreams that he had at these, these gods that you know create the game like that. And so then I had this uh, professor of mythology who taught at uh, Carlisle College down in Harrisburg. He decided to mm-hmm. go up to Winnesook to meet with Raymond and and to, and to kind of tell them that hey, your stories mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. There are, there are no such Greek gods such as the ones you talked about. Mm-hmm. So we had this um, this this professor who knows everything about mythology and then raymond who has dreams and the, the, it kind of sets it up like um uh, oh yeah like raymond's kind of saying oh yeah you don't believe in the, you know baseball curses or or the the gods of baseball just watch and see what happens to your team this weekend and so uh we Lots of crazy things happen in the, the weekend series that kind of points to, oh, there must be there really must be some gods of baseball. And uh, this professor ended up cursing his own team from Harrisburg because of his unbelief in Raymond's gods. So it's kind of a fun little story there.
0: Now, well, the gods got you, mister. What can I tell you? What can you do? Right. <laughs> Don't so. bad mouth them, you know. This part was really cool and painful, I imagine. Why did Pike want to sit on top of a foul pole in Raised Woodshell Stadium? And why did he go along with it? That's insane. Especially, yeah. it's not easy to sit on the top of one of those.
2: Yeah, and this is actually, this goes back to an actual craze that happened in the 1920s of pole sitting. And it became a very popular thing to do for whatever reason. Oh God! (laughs) And so it it became this kind of this national phrase that that people would erect. They would just sit up there to see how. And uh, I used that real life situation that happened in the '20s, and uh, then I I created uh, Reginald Pike, who was a little bit eccentric. A little bit off center about things,
1: and he thinks
2: that hey, that would be fun. I want to whole. And so Raymond Blythe comes along and thinks ah, this is a great promotion. I'll have him do it in the stadium. A lot of people will come and, and get to see him sit there during the game. Uh, and but it, it ends up <laughs> it ends up being a pretty disastrous for, for Reginald and for Dapper who's helped. And uh, he ends up uh, interfering with the actual games that are going on around him during that weekend. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty fun story.
0: So then we have the people that are in every game, the umpires. This is cool. You created a lot of umpires in your new games, and each one is different, or they're the same as today. And are they as as crazy as they are? Sometimes the umpires are calm or whatever, and sometimes the players want to smack them in the head. So what happens when one umpire doesn't do his job the right way? And how did you create all these different umpires?
2: Yeah, um, I I don't really know how I created them. I guess, you know, I played a lot of baseball growing up, and you get lots of different types of umpires, and some are very vocal, and some are, are, are not, and some really good at what they do, and some are not, and then I I also created one in the story here that was uh, not very trustworthy, but Mm. he decides decides to – he's actually a relative of one of the the other uh, teams, uh, one of the managers of the other team, and so he ends up – kind of like not being fair to Jack in, uh, in a couple of games, which caused some problems there. Um, but yeah, umpires are such a big And they add a, they, add a, they add a lot, for sure. Um, so yeah.
0: Do they show partiality over us? Is that what you're saying? Sometimes they do. Well, it seems like they well, do, uh, but sometimes they don't see it.
2: I I, I think I've come across some what we might call hometown umpires sometimes that that tend to maybe, uh, (laughs) I think generally they do a good job. But, you know, you never know, especially back in the day, I think you would probably have some who uh, might tweak a call here or there to help the homies. And uh, that's what happened in one of the stories
1: there.
0: Yeah, my dad umpired games. And then if oh, the yeah. umpire when my brother was playing, because my brother was the pitcher, my brother used to pitch these no-hitters. And if he didn't like the umpire's call, he would look at me and say, you know, smile at the umpire, maybe he'll change his call. I go like, that's not fair. <laughs> Sometimes they actually <laughs> <Yeah>. did, <dead>, seriously. <laughs> they used me for something. <laughs> so tell us about the CCC and how it would benefit Raymond and Pittsburgh and why did they come what how did this come about that's the chapter that yeah. says if the ccc builds it will they come
2: will they come that's right uh the ccc is the civil conservation corps it was a one of the new deal programs created by franklin roosevelt and i come up with the idea because you know you see, they they sent out uh groups of young and all over the country, and they would build roads and and you know build lots of outdoor projects and stuff. And so I, I thought of that during the Great Depression, it was a tough time for a baseball club because you know, people were worried about finding things to eat rather than playing baseball. Uh, so I thought, hey, this might be an interesting way to get a bunch of young men to come to Winnesook. And so I had Raymond come up with the idea, let's try to sponsor a CCC team. Or a group to come to Winnesook to build something or other. I don't really care what, but for the sole purpose of trying to find new baseball talent, and so they they bring the 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 CCC group up, and then instead of instead of like putting them to work right away, they start doing baseball drills, and the CCC operators like, wait, what's going on here? This is really weird. He's like, oh no, we're just trying to figure out how how best to to do the work, and through through it, they're, they're able to great new players
0: through now this scene was really outrageous how did you create and why did you create the scene between Theodore Roosevelt and him
2: yeah uh, and actually Theodore Roosevelt comes up a couple times in the book one is in uh, one of the, the dreams that Theodore yeah, Roosevelt actually shows up. And so the, in the story that you're referring to, he actually, uh, Raymond, discovers that Theodore Roosevelt's son, Theodore Roosevelt II, is actually running for governor of New York.
1: Mm. And he was
2: hoping to talk with him in order to, to try to find out about his father, Theodore Roosevelt, and the, what, what the connection that he had. And so uh, they they meet each other on the grounds of Institution, uh, which is a is a very famous um, a camp in uh, western, uh, western New York, where Roosevelt and many others have spoken there and whatnot. And so he goes to Rockland Institution to meet uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Jr. and uh, he finds out his father actually hated baseball, and called it what they call the the mollycoddle and it wasn't a manly thing. So the, Raymond takes great offense to that and actually John Christie is there and John uh, challenges it's, it's like they challenge him to a duel but not with swords or pistols.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> they have this uh, funny little scene there where Raymond is uh, it has one pitch battle with Junior on the banks of like in uh Chautauqua. So.
0: Well he missed them all one of my things. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens when Beth decides to go to the game in Greenleaf Field? Why did she decide to go?
2: Yeah, Greenleaf Field was uh th- this is this is all real. Um Gus Greenleaf ah. was a, a- African American uh, owner the Pittsburgh Cross with the Negro League, League team back in the nineteen thirties. And he, he built this brand new stadium, Greenleaf Field. So this is actually real and, and historical. And it was a big deal to have this uh, brand new stadium for the Negro League team. And and so Bess hears about Bess hears about this new team and this new stadium and she is who she is adamant to, that she wants to go to Pittsburgh to see it which is baffles Raymond because she always says how she hates Pittsburgh and never wants to go there
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but then when we when she attends the game and there's uh, other famous ball players there we find out that Bess, is, Bess has a grandson and he's actually a baseball player on the Pittsburgh Crawfords. And that's why she specifically wanted to go on that day to actually see her grandson the first time.
0: That was exciting. That was sad, too. So which player dies, and what happens when someone else comes to substitute for the player in the martyr game, and how did you create the scene and the surprise?
2: Yeah, uh, with the, it's called, a scene called Schmidt's Sub where um, Schmidt was a ball player with the Winnesook Iron Horses then when World War uh, II hit, mm-hmm. he hit the army and went overseas and he lost in an earlier battle in North Africa and and so it was very traumatic for the whole town of Winnesook, but we have this uh, scene where Schmidt's brother shows up to and asks if they can play one one game, kind of like as a tribute for, for Schmidt who lost his life, and they they agreed to allow his brother to play one game. But we find out here it's not actually his brother, is it? <laughs> it's somebody else, <laughs> which I don't know if I want to give it away or not. <laughs> but um, it actually was uh, Schmidt's wife. Dressed up the, as a man in order to play one game, in order to try to get back at someone on the field, she felt as wronged or late. So, but it's a kind of a poignant little scene there.
0: That's like weird. So, tell us about the Kansas City Monarchs and why Raymond decided to help them when the when their bus broke down.
2: Yeah, so in the the summer of 1945, you had some really famous ballplayers that were playing on the, these real ballplayers that were playing on the Kansas City Monarchs, including uh, Satchel Page and including one, Jackie Robinson. So I thought it would be fun if I could uh, somehow incorporate them into my story. So I had the Kansas City Monarchs on a barnstorming trip. Buffalo, and they were going down to Washington, D.C., and they happened to travel right through Winnison on the way, and their bus breaks down at Winnison, and so as we, uh, as, the, as that happens, we find out that Best and Bess also can't
1: on
2: the in they're So Raymond, he set up this at Rochelle Stadium, and Bess, who's much blue, bring her to the so she can see last time, and kind of a poignant little scene there. And it was it was, yeah. it was a lot of fun writing that, bringing the historical aspects of arts and some of the great players but then trying to bring us all back across uh, and uh, her example.
0: So tell us about how did you create the scenes with, you know, everybody knows who Satchel Paige and Jackie Robinson is, or how did you create those scenes and what research did you do?
2: Yeah, um, what the biggest research I did on that was just to make sure that they were on the team with the Kansas City Monty. Forty-five, which they were, and that they they actually did play play games in Buffalo. They did play games in Washington, and so I I mapped it out. And when, if you're traveling from Buffalo to Washington, you're going to go right through Pennsylvania, right about the area. You no, know, that's perfect. This is like they're they're in a bus and they they head that way. They break down. So um, I, I thought the setup worked well for that, and it, it was quite a awesome. That was my main goal there.
0: Okay, now, here we go. Hold on a minute. Tell us about the lives of Rochelle and Raymond and how they grew together and then came apart and realized their own dream. And I wanted to smack him in the head for doing what he did. Seriously. Yeah,
2: that was uh, – the. The scene where he maybe he's a little tempted there—is that correct?
0: Yeah. Um, so so not good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and and one of my goals for that scene is that there was a there was a, the team in Reading, and uh, they had a bitter rivalry that summer, and they 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 just they discovered this that they could throw. Um, if they, there was this one girl who was causing distractions on the team. And then Raymond decides hey, if I bring her to win uh, i might be able to get my one player back on track. was kind of missing her. And, uh, and so the way that I set it up that there, there's also, this is also the point that I, that I wanted to try to make, uh, Raymond Rochelle as human as possible too, because I, I had made them—they're really positive characters, and I, I wanted it that way. But I also wanted them to see that, and this is you know Charles Henry writing this—that you know that the they did—they had they had problems too, just like anybody else. And so he's a little tempted by this uh, this young attractive woman, and as Raymond and Rochelle themselves weren't able to have children. And so Rochelle is feeling a little um, vulnerable there because of mm-hmm. this, and she just discovers them not doing anything bad necessarily, but alone in a hotel room, and the setup is there for some very strong captain. Um but, but it comes off as as a way for Raymond and Rochelle to kind of uh, understand each other better and, and to realize that, that their love is still strong. Uh, they haven't given up on each other.
0: Now, before I forget, Thursday, the author of The Deadening, Dead Bodies, whoa, Carrie Peralta. And on Monday, this is huge, Daniel Palmer, The Perfect Daughter. I am totally pumped. I can't believe it. He's doing it. And on the 21st, the author of Hit or Miss. On the 26th, the authors of Condition Black. And on the 28th, Becky Perrone will talk about the uh, story about her cat. And on the May 4th, what better way to start off May than with R.G. Belsky, Dick Belsky, and a Claire Carlson murder mystery beyond the headlines. Oh, my God. And that's just part of May. We've got a whole bunch more coming up. And let's not forget... The, I don't do any, uh, any shows in July for whatever reason. So the last one in June on the 29th is Gary Braver and none other than Tess Gerrinson. Choose me. It's really scary, too. So this is exciting.
1: Well, so why did... There.
0: <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. Rochelle is not anyone you want to fool with, people. now this was really great. She got smart and she said... I want full ownership of the land and the team and more. And she was going to do that. How come? Good for you, Rochelle.
2: Yeah. She yes she she felt vulnerable at that point because of the she felt that maybe Raymond was cheating on her and you know she has all these thoughts in her head. But what, what if Raymond leaves me? What if I leave after all I, what, what do I actually have? She, she kind of confronts him and says, Raymond. If you really love me, and if this the stating is
1: really mine,
2: prove it. Actually, give it to me on paper for real, legally. And I think that's that's the point that really hits Raymond over the head. Like, and he realizes, uh, that, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And he actually does it. And it's and it's not actually what she wants. But when, when, uh, he, when she sees that he's linked to that, then she understands that, yeah, that he he really does love me. And then she just tears up the papers because it's not important. He's, he's
0: I don't know if I would have done that. I don't know if I would have done that. <laughs> I really don't know if I would have done that. So tell us about Rose yep. and what was her goal? What was she supposed to do?
2: Yeah, Rosa was, the, I guess, the young temptress, if you want to call it that. But she she was really just uh, hired by Raymond to to try to kind of tease uh, one of the players. to Because um, Raymond noticed that whenever she attended a game, that his, his one catcher did really, really well and then got on a the, high. But then he, he didn't want her. He didn't want them to be together. He had to tease him into it, and so that's why he would set the stuff. He would bring her to the game. He, would, the, the catcher would see her. He would get excited, hit a run, and then he would whisk Rosa away uh, to the hotel where the catcher didn't know where he was. And so he had just uh, a bizarre little setup until uh, until it caught him finding out and uh, dealing with Raymond hmm.
0: well what about this was really how did you come up with this one how did you come up with the 100 pitch game what was the purpose and why did he agree to do it
2: yeah the, with the 100 pitch at that, uh, there was a a young ball player Archie Showboker and um I guess a little bit of the the backstory is Raymond always they loved foul balls. So foul balls would go into the stand like for the for the. So
1: he would always say, Hey,
2: if you if you hit a lot of foul balls, give you this much money for each. Stuff like that. So I just think the other day, something miraculous. Archie show Walter start fouling off pitch after, pitch after pitch and then it's 10, 30, then 40, and then it becomes almost third as to what happens. We discover that something, uh, something miraculous going on a little bit, that he has a sick son who needs a lot of financial security. And for some, on that day, uh, Art is able to keep... Until it eventually reached the hundred, and that cost a lot of money that uh, ended up owing. They kind of gladly paying to to not in the end.
0: Oh God! So what else besides the stadium did he name name for her, and how did she feel about that?
2: Um, let's see. Well, I'm not sure what uh, what exactly you're referring to. Was well,
0: something I forgot in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take the notes. <laughs> what does he What does he finally realize at the end? And how did you create the full classic extravaganza? That was interesting. Oh
1: yeah.
2: The ending is. Uh, yeah, the ending is okay where they eventually, come uh, to mm-hmm. the about this um, place that we have And through this, there is a, you uh, realize that it's time for a game. It's, uh, it's time to, for the, to let the iron horses go. They come up with the idea to bring the whole together and do something that they've not expect. And that's kind of how the, the the main plot lines there.
0: Okay, now let's see. We have a few minutes left. How was this set off by a news article?
2: Oh yeah. It was after the season, and they had an absolutely horrible team, and one of the writers of the newspaper, he wrote a thing about the the owner, and basically he said, it's over. You should realize that it's over. The team is dead. The league is dead and Raymond is really upset that eventually comes to real life maybe
0: now when Raymond passes away how did you create the final scenes between Michelle and Charles and what happens to the land that the stadium was built on
2: yeah Eventually, that that land there. Uh, oh, now I remember that what the other question was about.
1: <laughs> because
2: they, they they tear down Rochelle Stadium and they build Rochelle Plaza. I think that's what you're talking about there. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. uh, memory comes back every once in a while. And so, yeah, yeah. The, the story. It, the premise of the story is that, that uh, Charles Henry, the writer. Gets, it's a lot of information on Raymond Blythe's deathbed. And so I, I wanted to bring it to a point of um, kind of like a little bit of closure to the, their life, Raymond and Rochelle's life, but the think it's not quite the end of unanswered questions still, which I end up hopefully answering.
0: You did. Now, wait a second. Let me go back to this. Now, where, do, where does Rochelle stand at the end of this book?
2: So, at the end of the book, she, um, she decides to move away from the book. She sells off the house, and then, but she chooses stuff. Uh, she gets yeah. Charles Henry and, and she's, like, kind of wants to be almost like the custodian of what has happened to the team. And he becomes kind of like the historian of of the Iron Horses. And that's how he starts to compile all of the stories and uh, what it, what it, had what it happened. He kind of passes on the, the mantle to Charles Henry, as she's now very old and would not live up to and so, and then eventually she, she passed at the end of the book, is, is buried next to Raymond and her father at, at the grounds of Rochelle Stadium there.
0: I know this is like, if Rochelle could, could speak to the audience, would she go, would she marry him again? Or would she have done something different?
2: Oh, I think without a doubt she would marry. And they were very much in love. I mean, they had their rocky parts. Um, but it really was, uh, they, they understood each other. And they, they respected each other. And they, tr- they truly were co owner partners in this endeavor. I think we see in many of the stories how strong uh, Rochelle and she didn't take anything from she would go down and yell at the players herself if they weren't doing well and things like that.
0: I mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
2: think without a doubt she would do it again.
0: Would they take her yelling at them? Oh she was the owner, so they had no choice, right? Did they have a lot of respect for the place?
2: That's right. They they totally they they probably feared her more than they feared Raymond.
0: But well, basically, she owned the team, and she could get rid of them if she wanted to. So, That's seriously. Right. Now, if Raymond could speak, what would he say about? Would he do the same thing over again, or would he think about buying a football team or a soccer team or something else?
2: Oh, I think there's no doubt about it. He was made for this sport, and uh, definitely this sport and this sport alone. And, The only thing he would say is, I didn't get all the answers about my father, and I didn't really understand some of the themes and things. But perhaps you will still find that out. You never know.
0: (laughs) So before we stop, what is next for you, and where can everybody get this book? And I'm holding on to it because when I see my brother, I want him to read it. I'm going to force him to read Yeah. Because I think this is really worth it. Yes.
1: um, Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm currently working on uh, the sequel to this, this story, and I, I hope to have it finished probably in the summer at some point, and it'll probably be okay. uh, released next year. Yeah, so that's kind of uh, the timeline for that one. And um, it, uh, a diamond for her, if I, I, would, I would say if people like to read in paperback, I would ask them, please go to your independent bookstore. And say hey, mm-hmm. I would like you get me a copy of *The Diamond* for her, and it's very simple to do this um, through Ingram. Uh, get it there. The, i those, low, those independent bookstores need support, so I definitely encourage people to go do that. And if they, if other if people like to read the ebooks on Kindle, it's also available on Amazon as well. So it's pretty much available wherever you buy books.
0: Well, I'm excited. I'm going to find out at 1230 when I meet with my marketing director, believe it or not, (laughs) of my new publishing company. I got picked up by an independent publishing company, but it's, you know, a lot of surprises. What can I say? The title of my book is Population Zero, Stories About the World Coming to an End. Basically, it's a world without people. I don't know why. I just wrote it. It's like 76 pages of a different world that you wouldn't want to live in. And then I invite a dead body, dead person, to come back a spirit, to experience and tell people what my worlds are like. And then I create oh, some my. more worlds at the end. Yeah, I decided to do It's Twilight Zone. I'm very honored that both Alan Topol, and, and USA award-winning author, and New York Times author Vincent Sandry gave me the back cover. And they said it was like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I was like on it. I was like, oh, my God. And it's on (laughs) Amazon for pre-order. And who knows? Uh, I did this because I thought it would be really cool. And I asked if it could come out in June because June is when I physically lost my sister in the hospital. So I wanted to do this in her memory because if not for her, Mm. I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah.
1: So thank you so
0: much. I can't wait for the next one to come out. And the next, the next one is is the sequel, right? So I never know what country you're in, and I do a lot (laughs) of panel shows. So um, I'll have to let you know when I do one on baseball or something like that. Or just how do you decide to write a book? But I want to thank you so much. Would you send some of the sun over here and a little warmth?
2: (laughs) I will try. (laughs) I'll do my best shot here.
0: Everyone, I always say this at the end of every show, just one small ask. There's a pandemic out there. Please go outside and wear a mask and save yourself and save all of us because it's pretty serious out here. So thank you so much, Mark. Everybody have a great day, and bye.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.